I'm a travel influencer from the south side of Chicago. Worldwide, Nate. Now I've traveled from Chicago, Chicago to, to the Congo, Congo, visiting over 60 countries across six continents. Who that? Welcome to Escape with Nate, the podcast that travels. Once the world's most powerful travel document, the power of the U.S. passport has diminished under the fear of coronavirus. With borders closed across the planet to American travelers, with U.S. corona cases over 6 million, many nations now view America with trepidation. No matter how much they want those tourism dollars, they're unwilling to take the risk of opening their borders. That is the new normal. Welcome to Escape with Nate, the podcast that travels. Joining me today will be the talented actor, Jay Ellis. I'm your host, Nate Flewellen. Let's travel the world together at home. Come on. Escape with Nate. Your attention, please. Flight 106 to Bangkok is now boarding. So I'm excited to have on the show today a talented gent who wears many hats, actor, director, and producer, as well as husband, father, and son. He's been representing the black single male experience on HBO's hit show Insecure flawlessly for four seasons with the fifth in the future and soon will light up the big screen with superstar Tom Cruise and Top Gun Maverick, Welcome to the show, Jay Ellis. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. It's good to have you on the show. It's, it's like Ludacris' first album back for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, I read that you went to 12 schools in 13 years. Now, how did all of that bouncing around and constantly having to create new friends prepare you to navigate Hollywood? Yeah, but, you know, I think it's crazy when you travel around that much, especially because I was the only child. When you bounce around that much, you start to make up characters and play games with yourself. I would go into new schools and act like I was a different person every time I went into the school. And uh, I remember one school I went to in Texas, I remember uh, trying to speak with a, a Latin accent. I held it up for like maybe two hours and the kids like exposed me and they were like, man, you ain't, you can't speak Spanish. Stop playing. <laughs> But, you know, I think more than anything, it's just perspective, man. You know, you get to meet so many people. You get to see so many different things, try different food and experience so many different cultures. And I just think perspective. I always say I feel like, you know, I can I have probably either been to your city or uh, uh, I've been to a city that you've lived in or, you know, considered a part of your life. Um, especially in the U.S. anyway, just because I've got to bounce around so much. Yeah. So with all that bouncing around, you know, where do you call home and why? Uh, I mean, you know, LA is home. That's where I live. That's where, you know, I spend most of my time, but Tulsa, Oklahoma is the city that raised me. Uh, that's where I went to high school at. That's where, you know, my closest friends are at. So I think that's the place when I go back to, you know, people ask me where I grew up, you know, we moved around a ton. When people ask me where I grew up, I always say Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's where I had all my first. I drove for the first time. I found out I was going to college there. You know what I mean? It's just the place that holds a lot of space in my heart. Okay. Because, you know, I'm, I'm from Chicago. So when I talk about Chicago, I always mention this spot called Harold's Chicken Shack. What's something in Tulsa that's uniquely Tulsa? Oh, man. Now I can't think of the name of this spot. But it was a barbecue spot. And it was the first time that I'd ever had like a loaded baked potato with barbecue in it. Like they would do brisket. You could get a, a, a hot link one a rib tip one or they would do like a combo where they would put you know all the different meats they would kind of split it up oh that's gonna drive me crazy what is the name of this place i know you you official with it because you named about five different items on the menu so I, it sounds like you got some good memories in this spot oh, oh i loved it man it was everything i used to beg my parents to go there all the time 
and it was a fully, I mean, they were huge baked potatoes and then they would load it with all the, with all the barbecue on top of it, man. It was so good. It might've been a place called Elmer's. Okay. So this is the date spot in high school. Well, you know, you ain't got no money in high school. So we was at CC's pizza for a, for a dollar 99 for the buffet. I'm not going to front. <laughs> hey, I, I get it. I get it. So now I understand you changed your name in high school. So what was it originally and why did you change your name? My dad's name is Wendell Ramon Ellis Sr., uh, which means that I am Wendell Ramon Ellis Jr. When I was growing up, I had a bunch of I was the only boy cousin for a long time. And the girl cousins used to tease me and pick on me because I had a family reunion in Stockton. And uh, I just flipped out one day and I was, they used to all call me Little Wendell. And I, I flipped out and I was like, stop calling me little, I'm not little, I'm big. And so, you know, after they teased me for, you know, the next hour, two hours, uh, finally my aunts talked to all my cousins into just calling me Wendell Jr. And so by the time I got around to high school, my family went from calling me uh, Wendell Jr. to Wendell J to J. So by the time I got to my sophomore year in high school, J just stuck. And that's just what I've kind of rocked out with ever since. Mm, that's that's an incredible story. I mean, you know, it sounds like you have a good home foundation with your parents and we're obviously home. So how has it been for you sheltering in place? You know, has it been a blessing? We're having more time than normal to spend at home, especially being able to kick it with your newborn daughter? You know, being home has been good, man. At first, it was a little bit of a break because I had been on such a run for the last two years just working so much. And so it was the first, you know, in, in a little over two years, I hadn't spent more than three weeks not in front of a camera on a set. So, you know, by the time the, the top of this came around, it was a much needed break. And then, you know, I, I got settled in it and I've gone through the ups and downs like everybody else. You know, I, I found peace in it. I found craziness in it. You know, a frustration. I found growth. I've been reading, I, you know, all of the above. But I've been grateful for it, man. It's, it's, my parents live in L.A. now, so I got to spend a lot more time with them. And then obviously just being home more and uh, getting to see, you know, the baby grow up and watch a lot of her first and crawling. And, you know, she's trying to talk nonstop. And, you know, it, it's been amazing, man. It's been great. That's that's dope because it sounds like you're in the lab and, and you know, when we we able to step back and get in the lab, we grow and we come back stronger. So what do you feel that you're going to be able to maximize in your career that you previously didn't get the opportunity to do like pre-pandemic? You know, I, I mean, I think it's given me a lot of time to kind of step back and a reading for me is huge. I love to read. I'm a big reader. So I think just being able to do that both recreationally for fun and entertainment, as well as for work, I've been able to, to, to read a lot more, but I think it also just, this time has just allowed me to put a uh, pen to paper, so to speak, and just write more and be creative more and do the things that like, I, you know, I, I want to do, but I often have hard times doing them. And so some of that has just been in development and developing other writers and other projects. Um, some of that has been, you know, writing myself, some of it has just been, you know, I got out and did a bunch of yard work and planted a whole succulent garden and was like, oh, okay, I got a green thumb. You know what I'm saying? And it looks a little artistic, you know? So it's just, it's been a lot, man. It's been a, a good space. And I think what I hope to take from this time, to be honest with you, is I, I have found that it has given me an opportunity to set up projects that I love and things that I'm super passionate about. And, you know, when the world opens up, we'll go and make those things. And, and I'm super grateful for that. And, and excited for that because I wouldn't have had this much time had it to develop these things and write these things and so forth and so on had it not been for this moment. Okay. So it's like you said, like you said, safe space. It seems like you found that utopia locally, but in the world, have you ever found utopia or what's the closest thing you found to utopia? 
you know, utopia is hard to find, but I, there are places where I felt like I could get lost in a good way and I could stay and I'd be all right. You know, I flew to Ghana where I was to food, to culture, to history, to uh, the love and the warmth, to, you know, the hot night, hot, humid, sweaty nights, you know, all of the above, I think, and be very, 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 very happy. Thailand. I really loved Thailand. I had a great time. I, went, I got a chance to kick it uh, just south of Phuket on the tip of the uh, peninsula there and, and just really had an amazing time. The food, again, the people were great. Culturally, it was amazing. I was constantly learning things and being introduced to new things. And it was another place where I just I, I had an amazing kind of peaceful time. Well, I'm an Africa connoisseur. And then you said Ghana and um, I never been. So just to start, what took you to Ghana? I was doing a project there. I'd actually stopped in South Africa first. So I was, I got a friend of mine who produces a show in uh, South Africa uh, that he asked me to come be a judge on. It's a competition show and he asked me to come be a judge on it. And so I stopped in South Africa first, which was also absolutely amazing. I was in Joburg the entire time and that was beautiful, hot, but it was beautiful. Then left Joburg and I flew to Ghana where I was actually shooting a movie. So I spent a month in Ghana and I was about four or five hours outside of Accra in a city called Ho. Uh, and we got to see Keta and we got to see all these other little villages. The director of the film, uh, Layla, she is Ghanaian. She came to school in America, but she always, you know, she makes a couple, tries to make two films a year, one or two films a year. But she always tries to make a film at home as much as she possibly can. And so she uh, she cast me and, you know, I got to go spend a few weeks in Ghana. So the city that you filmed in, just to give us some perspective, what, what city would you relate it to in the States just to... Give us an idea of like the size or like the the the, uh, the culture, the pace, the flavor. How can you compare it? What would you relate it to? It definitely would be the closest thing to like a down south city. So it would probably feel like a Mississippi or an Alabama type town. Smaller for sure. Definitely just a, a little bit of a slower pace of life. You know, you know a lot of people in town. A lot of people know each other type thing. That place was interesting, man. They, they did this thing where one night a week they rolled the city in quarters they split the city up in quarters right and in four quadrants rather and one night a week each quadrant would be without power for 12 hours what so monday would be quadrant one it's uh, tuesday would be quadrant two wednesday would be quadrant three thursday quadrant four friday you back to quadrant one what we kind of experiencing in california to some degree with these brownouts that they're doing but it was their way to conserve power and make sure that the whole city had power and so that was a really interesting uh, thing to experience. But, you know, it, it was a smaller town for sure. I, I had no idea what the population would be. My, my guess is maybe 100,000 at best. Like, you know, those small towns, they typically have a character. Is there a particular person that you remember that just had that personality that just warms your heart or had you crack it up or maybe got on your nerves? No, you know, I uh, we shot in 21 locations in that movie in 27 days. So we actually moved around a ton. So I, there was no one particular person from the city, but there was a person on our production. And that was the director's mom, who was actually cooking all the meals for the crew every single day. So no matter where we were, she would go home, she would cook the meals, and then she would drive out to whatever location we were at. Uh, and she would deliver these absolutely amazing meals. And so, you know, that was that to me, I was getting home cooked Ghanaian food every day, as opposed to you know, sometime at night or sometime in the morning, depending on the day, I would I would eat at the hotel. And that was, as you know, they tried to make it as safe as it could be for people like me, for Americans or for people traveling. So, you know, they the menu had some stuff in it, but it was also very safe. But, 
to, to get to eat uh, with her. And she was very proud about her cooking. And, and if you said you didn't eat this, she put it on your plate anyway. She was going to make you try it. She was one of those. Uh, it, it was it was amazing. Oh man, that's awesome! You got food made with love. That's the the most delicious food ever. Yeah, man. So I can see why Ghana was like a close representation because you got to see a lot of the country. Yeah, I think that's what shoots up to the top of people's list. Because for me, South Africa is my favorite country because I've seen you know so many parts of the country, and that's that's amazing that you got to see that experience and and see these little small towns. Uh, in Ghana. Were you able to make it out to the coast of Ghana, do some surfing or? No, I didn't. I didn't get in the water, get on the water. But we we shot in a village uh, that was on the water where actually there was a slave castle that was that had been there from I think it was like late 1600s, early 1700s. And the Dutch had basically taken over this what was a prison and turned it into uh, this, you know, shipping yard for slaves that were, you know, getting into the Atlantic. And it was crazy because you know, you walk in there and it's ruined. It's a lot of it isn't, it's intact enough so you can see what it is and you can walk upstairs and stuff like that, but it's also just ruined enough. But uh, they still have bars in these like eight inch by eight inch windows. And the windows literally looked out on the beach and at the ocean. And it was crazy to just see that like, oh, this is, this is a part of where the slave trade started and where it began. And looking out this tiny window at this pristine, beautiful beach and this amazing blue sea, it, I don't know, it was a harrowing experience, man. It was one of those things where you felt like you, you, uh, you could feel the, uh, the, the power and the tension and the anger and the vulnerability. Like you could feel all of that while you were in that space. It was, it was a life event for me. Right. So was there that that sense of connection for the Ghanaians where they were like kind of like welcome home and bridging the gap of that disenfranchisement that we've experienced? I think, you know, I experienced this in Ghana and I've experienced it in South Africa and Tanzania, actually, where it wasn't so much of a welcome home. It is a welcome home in a way, but it was also the doors were open. Maybe that's the best way to put it is it was like, this is all yours to learn if you want to learn it. And this is our culture and this is who we are. And we understand that you've been disconnected from that. But if you want to learn it and if you're open to learn it, we, we, we want to teach it to you. We want to share it with you and we want to show you our culture. And, and, you know, that to me was, was, was really amazing. And I experienced that throughout my travels on the continent just in general and just thought it was an amazing thing. Oh, that's awesome. So, you know, the Africa, that's always going to be a special place for us just because, you know, that's the, the, the root, the soil where we come from. And uh, so I, so I'm curious to learn more about your, your Thailand experience, because, you know, we're absolute foreigners and we're tapping into the, the, the Thai culture. You, you were able to experience the Thai culture. Um, you know, when you were in Thailand, what was the uh, what made that such a dynamic experience or, you know, like a particular place? Because you mentioned Phuket. How was how did Phuket treat you? I mean, I, you know, it was, it, that experience was amazing all above that, that experience uh, all around rather that experience started in uh, Bangkok, which I love cities. I love exploring cities. I love the bigger they are, the better for me, the dirtier they are, the seedier they are. I love all of it. I love underbelly. I love all of it. And so, and Bangkok has that. And it also has its, you know, very clean and very posh and few cosmopolitan areas as well. But the skyline is crazy. Um, so much of that city you can see, at least how that city originated for sure was so much of it was based off of the river that's there in the middle of the town. And they still use it quite a bit uh, just in terms of agricultural trade and stuff like that and floating markets and things like that. But 
to me, that was just an amazing experience because I love cities, man. And, and, and that was really fun to kind of, you know, get lost at times and, and find your way back to the hotel. And then Phuket was the exact opposite. It's, it's much, much slower. It's much more relaxed. The food is different. It's almost all seafood for the most part, right? People are no different than I think what we experience here in the States. You know, the cities are hustling and bustling. People are moving fast versus Phuket, you know, people are a little more hospitable, a little more open. Again, everywhere I went, anyone I came in contact with just wanted to share their culture. If, if you're open to it, whether it was the food or, you know, whether it was in their favorite spots to go like, you know, be on the water, whether their favorite viewpoints, that was cool, man. And, you know, everybody, for me, I'm six foot four. So everybody was like, oh, you must be in the NBA. And I'm like, I get it. Y'all don't see a lot of black people. So you think I'm an NBA player because I'm in Thailand and because I'm tall. But uh, it was it was fun. That's a good way to spark up conversation naturally uh, is your height. Uh, now, I'm a professional eater and you mentioned food. And when you said cities, I was curious, did you try this, any of the street food in Bangkok? I go to street food everywhere I go. Any city I've ever been to, if there's street food, any if foreign when I travel, if there's street food, I try it. Uh, I know it's going to tear my stomach up. I know it's going to cause me, I might be locked up in the bathroom for a little bit. I might have an upset stomach, whatever it is. <laughs> but I, I love street food, man, and definitely got to try it there. One of my favorite street food experiences is probably actually in Mumbai, in India. And it was this banana leaf wrapped, uh, basically a lot of fresh vegetables. There was some scallion in it. There was some carrot in it. And it had like these kind of like gummy pink things in it and then some chicken. I don't even know. Again, I couldn't tell you what it was called but it was one of the best things I'd ever eaten on the street in my life. In Thailand specifically, uh, I had a couple um, noodle dishes, a couple of rice noodle dishes that were pretty amazing. So, oh, now, so since you're eating the Thai food in Thailand, now which, which Thai food is better? Is it in the States? Cause you know, we kind of get the Americanized version or is the, the Thai food in Thailand better? I think the, the food in Thailand is better. There are dishes in Thailand that we just could never make it on restaurant menus in the U.S. because we're just not that adventurous. But, I, you know, I think overall, I think if you look at like, listen, I had pad thai while I was in Thailand because I was like, oh, I got to see if the pad thai is as good here as it is in America. And it was good. It was great. You know what I mean? It was better in some instances, you know. But, you know, I think for me, as long as a, a meal is made with love, I think that goes a long way. Now, now with these dishes that wouldn't fly, which I would call it, what, what would be the dish that would get denied at the border? <laughs> and what we generally don't do in America anymore anyway is we don't use all of the cow or all of the pig or all of the chicken in the way we used to. There were some gizzard dishes in, in Thailand that just not going they're not gonna work here. It's just not gonna happen. There were things like that that I thought were really interesting. A lot of um there was a fish head soup that I remember having. It took me a second to want to try it, but then I got in there and had the flavor and that was good. Sounds like you've been pretty adventurous. So for the travel novices out there and experts, what's your travel hack for when you get that upset stomach? What do you take with you to, to get you back to normal and make it through? I have an ulcer in general, so I travel with uh, an acid reducer. I travel with Tums. I travel with Pepto-Bismol and then water. I try to drink as much water as I can just to flush out the system and get it out as soon as possible. And every once in a while, depending on when I, if it's something where like it feels like a little bit closer to the evening or to the night, like this is probably not the smartest thing to do, but I will take a sleeping pill and try to sleep through it. <laughs> Hopefully by the time I wake up in the morning, it's gone. That don't always work. Sometimes I just wake up super drowsy for no reason uh, with, a, <laughs> with an upset stomach. I, I'm pretty precautious when I, when I travel for the street food, but your enthusiasm 
has me excited to uh, to try some more street food when I go travel. Because I, I had that experience in Brazil where I was at um, Pedro da Sal on a Monday and I ate a, a, a sausage off the street cart. It took me out and I was in paradise. So, um, But you got me feeling a little frisky and confident. I'm feeling your energy. It's like, okay, if Jay can do it, I'm going to do it too. So, <laughs> I will say this. I won't eat anything raw. Anything I eat has to be cooked. I won't, I won't eat anything raw. I won't play with that. That's where I draw the line. Got you. So with filming in Africa and then traveling in Thailand, and uh, I know with Insecure, you have filmed a low-key tripping episode in Mexico or, you know, in, in, in the States and in Mexico. Was that a lot of work or was it like a workcation? Nah, man, it was all work. I wish I got to uh, vacation a little bit. You know, that was a great trip, man. I had to go back and forth to Mexico three times to scout locations we had to go a couple times to the uh to the zip line that molly was on to make sure that it was safe for the actor to be on and you know we at first we wanted to put a camera person on there with her and then that wasn't going to work so we wanted to put a camera on there with her and that wasn't going to work so then we had to you know test out drone footage and see if that could work it was great because like being someone who loves to travel so much like one of the things that i really wanted to do was like show people how like beautiful the culture is and the colors and the food and the beaches and, you know, and really be respectful of it in a way and the culture, you know, we have a couple montage moments in there, a couple transition moments in there where we're like, you know, cutting through the streets and you kind of get to feel like the local, you know, on the ground flavor of Puerto Vallarta. And so to me, that was super, super important. And I had a crew that was just doing drone work. We had a crew that was just doing street work. And then I had my another crew that was with the actors. And so at, at any given time, I was talking to usually two of those three crews at one time. And so I didn't really get much of a break, to be honest with you. I think I had a margarita for the four or five days we were down there shooting. Oh, man, that's that's crazy. But at least you got to rack up on those miles traveling back and forth. But I, I love that episode because I love that shot when uh, Molly is walking on the beach and she got on this flowy cover up outfit. It just put me in the mood of like, that's the moment that I want to have with my boo and just see her walking towards me. How did you come up with that shot? Yeah, there's a there's a few things that I was inspired by a few different travel movies, actually. I'll start kind of a little bit earlier when Molly's actually running through the airport and gets on the plane. I was actually inspired by Up in the Air, the George Clooney movie where he travels, you know, nonstop. That's actually where I was inspired for, for that sequence. There's a sequence towards the end of the movie where he like walks off stage and you catch him running through the airport and then running onto the plane. And so I was very inspired by that. And then the shots of actually uh, Molly on the beach and even actually there's one other scene uh, where it's her and, and Andrew at night. I was actually inspired by two things. I was inspired by one, Stella got her group back when Stella's running on the beach. Angela Bassett's like doing a jog in the middle of the day and she's on the beach so or in the morning, I think it is. And so I was inspired by that. And then I was also inspired. This one's a, a bit of a throwback, but I was inspired by Lawrence of Arabia a little bit as well. Um, as Lawrence is traveling across the desert. And so, you know, there were a bunch of shots that, that didn't make it because they would have made the sequence too long. But uh, when she plops down and sits down into the frame and then we kind of cut over her shoulder and she's looking out over the ocean and then she turns to her right and kind of we get just like a little peek of her face. You know, I had an idea of what I wanted to do and knew that I wanted to get her when she sat down. And I knew that I wanted to get over the shoulder looking at the sunset but we actually let that roll a little bit longer because 
Yvonne just had this great instinct to kind of turn profile after she made the phone call and we just kept the camera rolling and it was just, it was beautiful. It was just, you could see that it was a, a person and a character who was going through a lot of internal and introspective reflection and trying to figure themselves out and how they got to where they are. That was beautiful the way you got lost in just describing all those details. Like I'm looking forward to your, your directing career, man, because that's the type of vision and detail that directors have. And you just like, you examined and broke down every moment and in, in, in the canon you went through. I mean, Lawrence of Arabia to Stella got a groove back to up in the air. That's, you know, spanning different de generations as well. Thank so, you. you know, with the future, you know, 2020 release dates have been killed. So what do you have coming out in 2021? What are we looking forward to uh, seeing you on the big screen in? Yeah, man, you know, Top Gun will get a release. Uh, I think it's July of 2021 right now, I think is where uh, it's sitting on the schedule, where Paramount has it. So we're super excited about that. You know, it's a summer movie, man. So we're happy to be back in the summertime. I think that's the right place for it to be and, you know, start people's summer off the right way. Big July 4th movie. So we're super excited about that. And, you know, we hopefully COVID will clear up and we'll get back on film in season five of Insecure so we can, so we can get, you know, season five out to everybody. And then, I hop into another movie that I'm filming uh, with Netflix and animated FX series, this little series for their late night program uh, that we're doing. So I'm super excited about that. So you're going to take over the uh, Will Smith 4th of July King spot. I'm not. TC is going to do that. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm just on the side. I, I, I like your humbleness, man. You know, you might steal a show. We're going we gonna to speak that into existence <laughs> for the culture. <laughs> so where, where did you all film? Yeah, where did you film Top Gun? Uh, we bounced around quite a bit, man. We shot in um, San Diego, uh, where the original movie shot. We shot in Central California. We shot just outside of Reno, Nevada. Uh, we shot in Northern Washington, just above Seattle. Uh, we were out on the ocean for a little bit on a carrier. And then we shot in LA, a few things in LA, not that much actually, but most of it was in one of those you know, previous places, that's it. Okay, did you get to uh, fly in a fighter jet? And then we did actually shoot in F-18s in the air while they were actually flying at hundreds of miles an hour. Yeah, so we, we all racked up a different amount of hours. But yeah, that was a part of the process, man. You know, when you're working with Tom, there's no other way, man. So we shot it real. We, shot, we were really in those jets. We were really flying. Man. I actually uh, got to fly in a fighter jet with, with um, in France. Uh, not a combat one, but... That, it's a thrill, man. I, how did you deal with the 4Gs and the 5Gs? Did you uh, handle that pretty well? Well, we, we had a lot of training, man. Tom actually created a flight training program for us. So we actually started flying for about four months before we actually got in the F-18. So by the time I got in F-18, I already had 40 hours uh, of flight time. And one of the planes that we trained in could pull up to 8Gs. So uh, we spent a lot of time. Actually, could pull 9Gs with a single pilot. And I think 7.5 with two pilots. And so uh, we had a lot of time pulling a lot of G's, man. My face is forever going to be dragging downwards because of it. But we had a lot of time in, in the air, man. So by the time we got to the F-18, we were pretty prepped. We were ready. Thanks to Tom, man. He, had a, he did a great job of getting us prepped, to be honest. So it sounds like post-pandemic, you uh, you're going to be pretty busy. It's going to be like a slingshot. And then once, once you get that go-ahead, you, you're going to be off and running to the races. From your lips to God's ears, man. Hey, me and God got a good relationship, so I, I'm pretty sure it's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, before I <laughs> before I let you go, I uh, got a a friend of mine. Well, like I would say, an Instagram follower. I had asked them for some questions. This is one from Silent Rapture. 
Where's one place you travel where you felt safe as a black man? I mean, Ghana for sure. A hundred percent. Like not even a question. Okay. Yeah. I mean, sounds like it. Cause you know, eating good food, home cooked food and Johannesburg is another place. I mean, Tanzania. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, any place on the continent really, I felt very safe in, in all of those places, man. That's awesome. Well, Jay, this, our time has come to an end. I, um, I feel like you, you've inspired me to eat some street food. I'm, I'm excited about my opportunity to go to Ghana and explore. And lastly, for the listeners, can you tell us your, your social media where people can keep up with you and what's going on in your life? Yes, it's uh, at J-R-L-I-S, J-A-Y-R-E-L-L-I-S. That's uh, Instagram, Twitter, and The Real J-L-I-S on Facebook. Well, there you have it. Thank you for your time, Jay. It's great chatting with you. I appreciate you, brother. Yeah, man, appreciate you. All right, well, all right. In today's society, we are quick to cancel a celebrity or a brand. Has cancel culture removed our empathy? I want to highlight brands that are actually continuing the culture, investing in our communities, and investing in travel noir. Today, I want to give the Harlem Candle Company their roses. The Harlem Candle Company began in my friend Terry Johnson's kitchen in 2014. Terry fell in love with fragrances and how they transport you to different places and times. While living in Harlem, she discovered its vibrant and rich past like music icons including Billie Holiday and Duke Ellington, who performed at clubs such as the Savoy Ballroom. Harlem's Sugar Hill and Lenox Avenue's colorful areas all inspired her to share Harlem's stories through her candles. These icons inspired her candles aromas that allow you to relax and feel comfortable at home with their 12-ounce candles, and the Harlem Candle Company offers 4-ounce travel sizes. When traveling, you never know how a hotel will smell from thousands of people moving in and out of the rooms. With their candles, you can always feel at home no matter where you go. Make sure you visit HarlemCandleCompany.com and shop for their rich and luxurious fragrances. Let's continue the culture to support brands of color during this pandemic and beyond. And please share with me any brand stories that you think deserve a shout out for continuing the culture. Now, the new normal report. Fortunately, there are still some countries that will allow Americans under one condition. We have to provide proof of a negative COVID result within 72 hours of our departure from the states. Even our own state of Hawaii will be requiring mainland citizens provide negative COVID tests beginning October 1st. This means you will need to find a test site that offers test results in less than 72 hours. You can visit rapidtesttravel.com and find a location in your state that provides rapid testing. But be sure to double check, I mean triple check that you can receive your results in 48 or 72 hours. Keep in mind, internet information is often user generated, so those turnaround times aren't guaranteed either. As more countries start to open, I would expect negative COVID testing will have to accompany your boarding pass and passport at the terminal gate. So identify your local testing location today. And aloha, that's the new normal. Your attention please, final boarding call for flight 106 to Bangkok. I'm closing out this episode with a heavy heart. Our king, brother, and inspiration, Chadwick Bozeman, transitioned after fighting stage three and finally stage four colon cancer for four years. I didn't have a personal relationship with Chadwick, but I did meet him last year at the Vanity Fair after party, and we spoke. During our conversation, I gave him his roses and expressed 
from one HBCU graduate to another that he was touching so many lives that we were proud of him and to continue to be great. As I reflect on that conversation, now that I know he was battling cancer and how much strength, grace and leadership he showed the world, I'm just in awe. I saw my sister battle breast cancer and witnessed her take her last breath. The last words she told me were that she was fine and wasn't afraid to die. As I share this with you, I understand how much courage it took for Chadwick to fight for his life and be present and to inspire the world. I believe he knew his purpose was to leave us with timeless art that would inspire future generations to achieve greatness. I feel like I owe it to him and the ancestors to level up and go harder for the culture. I came across a quote from one of his many speeches that reads, when I stand before God at the end of my life, I would hope that I would not have a single bit of talent left and could say I used everything you gave me. I hope this quote in his body of work inspires you to live limitlessly, travel the world and use the gift your creator has given you. Rest in power, Chadwick Aaron Bozeman, Wakanda forever. Thank you for escaping with me today. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at Worldwide Nate. Share this podcast with your friends. And I want to leave you with this. We will travel the world again and we will continue to change the world. Internets. Until next time, adventure accordingly and stay safe. This has been a 31 Dogwood and Tasty Shop Media production with production sound design by Wine Designs Media. Brought to you by Entertainment Speakers Bureau.